What up, fanboys and fangirls? Welcome to another edition of Talking Pop with the Franchise and Biko. It's the podcast on all things pop culture. I'm your illustrious host of Franchise, of course. Joining me is my co-host, Biko. What's up, guys? Um, just let you guys know, this is episode 61 of the podcast. Um, pretty much, this is we're continuing our discussions on coverage of the Last Dance documentary. Of course, you guys know what the Last Dance was. Um, pretty much was the description of the season in which the '97 '98 Bulls played their last season together. Of course, Chicago Bulls. Chicago Bulls. Sorry, culminating in their sixth NBA championship. And of course, you know with COVID nineteen right now and all sports being suspended right now at this time. ESPN and Michael Jordan, Jim Crawford had decided to release the documentary earlier than the June release. So right now, pretty much, again, this episode, if you've been listening to the previous episodes, I'm going to focus on episodes 5 and 6 of The Last Dance. I pull up some articles from commentary based on those episodes. Um, and also, we're going to talk about news as well about plans for the podcast itself. That will probably won't be discussed until the second half, possibly. Uh, because tell me not right now, but... Yeah, but- but we'll have some stuff coming soon. But for right now, we're just going to focus on The Last Dance. So pretty much episode 5 and 6. So pretty much taken away from episode 5. It opens, you know, since the episode's been doing like a timeline. In the last episode, episode 4, they when the Bulls like, you know, lost to the Utah Jazz. And they went to the All-Star break. So it opens up, you know, with the All-Star game in New York. Mm-hmm. And of course, Michael being the only Bull... Selected for the All-Star Game, who was represent the Bulls. What it will ultimately be is not last All-Star Game, but last All-Star Game as a member of the Bulls. So, it talks about it shows a little bit in New York, but what I like about this was the episode opened up with a tribute to Kobe Bryant. Because um, it talks about, I wish they would have delved deep into the relationship, but I think depending how they were able to get Kobe's comments, and it was kind of like seeing Kobe again. Well... I mean, based on whatever they used the clips on, but when they were interviewing him, it looked like they were, they had to have been within the odds. Like, it, he didn't look as old that he was in his last season, 2016. But, like, it, it seemed like he was under the run. Like, he looked like he was when he had got his fifth championship with the Lakers when, with the Pau Gasol team and all that. Like, that's, I think that's when they, like, might have interviewed him. Because, obviously, it was too soon uh, for them to, like, I don't know why. I, it's funny how like all this shit's happening, you know. But and like, Kobe passed away just a few months ago, and and like, it's it's cool to see that he was on there. Um, but yeah, it's it, it it for at least for what I'm basing on because like, it's weird to see somebody talking and stuff like that when he he just passed away months ago, and and I know with all the right thing going on, everyone's so distracted. So I think this is why the last dance has become. Uh, the new Game of Thrones for sports fans, I think, because anyone who's nostalgic about bullshit at the end of the day, uh, they love to see this. And ESPN has shown us for the past, what has been, three Sundays now, uh, completely, that, fuck, we still care about whatever the shit that went down. And there's so much more. Like, there's so much more that they didn't show us. And, and like, every time, I've noticed during each episode, they keep, they open up a can of worms and they'll give you a little bit, bit, but then it's like, damn, Then there's got to be more shit that they never should tell us about, or just, like, different perspectives of players. Um, but, yeah, it was, I, what, where, well, we can talk about how it began, I guess, the first episode, uh, so episode five, and I don't remember if they actually title each one's. 
I don't know because I haven't got on the ESPN. Right? I haven't got on the ESPN app because I know you guys can rewatch it on the ESPN app. So I didn't get an ESPN Plus app. Like I haven't got a chance to see if they did title them. But I know I had them on the DVR for our TV service. But it just says like episode one or no episode four or episode three, but it doesn't say like the title or anything. So I feel like it's just one big film, and they just. So I don't know if when it when it's complete, I don't know how they, if they're gonna. I know it'll probably be on Netflix later on once it's completed. It's on ESPN. Oh, probably on both. But I'm wondering if each episode, if they're gonna show like you know breaking down, if they're gonna have episode titles for each one, but. Pretty much, you know, so far it's just been like, they just say episode 6 or episode 5 or something in room numerals and stuff. Um, I just pulled up the article regarding like the Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan relationship. I pulled it off from CBSSports.com, articles written by James Herbert. Um, pretty much his headline is, Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan Connection, What the Last Dance Doesn't Tell You About Their Relationship. And then pretty much he goes into detail. He does talk about the documentary, you know, the beginning of episode five and gives more insight on their relationship between each other. And he took some quotes from Kobe during the interview. It says before his death, so it could have been before the interview. It could have been like in the winter of 2019 he got interviewed for it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it looked like Kobe and that, like probably it has to be months before his death. Yeah, it had, to be, it, it, it had it had to be sometime last year. I don't know, man. He didn't he didn't look though, but I don't know. <laughs> well, who cares? But well, nonetheless, uh, R. P. Kobe. But the point is, we actually got a chance to to, to see the word like what Kobe's relationship with Jordan was and how much he really admired him. And but we never got to hear him say that. We only got it from like Snickers. quotes because he was always getting through this the damn talk about like. Uh, the comparison of you know Jordan is better, the greatest, and and then uh, it's awesome to see that he said it out of his mouth. He's like, no, 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 don't get it twisted. Like, I, he's like, I wouldn't have gotten those five rings if it wasn't for Michael. Like, I've learned everything from him, and but nobody really knew. Like, we got a glimpse of that when at the the funeral service for Kobe at the Staples Center because Jordan did the speech. But we just thought, like, him and Jordan were just, like, oh, buddies, like, maybe it was a mentor. No, like, he would call him, um, like, every so often, uh, and he'll have, like, an hour chat with him every day, and he'd just ask him random basketball questions. And I think, like, Jordan became to build up, like, this brother relationship with him mm-hmm. that, like, damn, you saw that in the funeral, just how, like, it impacted him. So it was nice that the, the documentary, uh, the, the episode five started off in the All-Star game when um, Jordan's... Uh, I guess it would be his last year officially in the NBA with playing with the Washington Wizards and then Kobe. No, it, his last All Star game was 2003. But oh no, this it was, was his Kobe's, last. It was Kobe's first All Star game. Second All Star game. Yeah, '97, right? Kobe was in the '98 All Star, '97 All Star game, and then this is the second one. So he's been two years in the NBA at this to- in this point in time. This was Jordan's last representing the Bulls. The Bulls. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Jordan's last All-Star game was in 2003. I'm assuming the last two episodes will focus on Jordan post-Bulls, probably. I'm assuming that's what's going to happen. But going to that, um, going to the article in general, uh, it did get some quotes. Um, and they show, like, you know, behind the scenes, you know, Jordan in the East locker room. You see uh, Larry Bird's the coach. Of course, Larry Bird at the time was the coach of the Indiana Pacers. He was elected as the coach of the East team. They see Magic Johnson making his way in there. <laughs> and Jordan, you know, how Jordan is when it comes to competitiveness. You know, he's ripping on him and everything. And he's, like, calling Magic, like, hey, what are you doing in the East locker room? This is the East locker room and all that stuff. And then um, the article pulls some quotes from Kobe when you were talking about, um, uh, like it says here, it says, before his death, Kobe was interviewed for the documentary in the middle of the All-Star sequence. He looks back at the time and sees, remember, Jordan, this is what Kobe said. 
It was a rough couple of years for me going coming to the league because at the time the league was so much older, it's not as young as it is today, so nobody was really thinking much of me. I was the kid that shot a bunch of air balls, you know what I mean. And at that point, Michael provided a lot of guidance for me, like I had a question about shooting his turnaround shot. So I asked him about it. He gave me a great detailed answer, but on top of that, he said, if you ever, never, if you ever need anything, give me a call. He's like, he's like my big brother. I truly hate having discussions about who will win one-on-one. Or fans saying, hey, Kobe, you beat Michael one-on-one? I feel like, yo, what you get from me is from him. I don't get five championships here without him because he guided me so much. and gave me so much great advice. That's what he said because I was like basically. And it was cool seeing, you know. And then it, it shows like, you know, in the East locker room, like Jordan's talking about Kobe and stuff. Because I guess it, like somehow like, it, like Kobe made an impact on MJ. Mm-hmm. At such a young age of 19, he made an impact on MJ. Like it got like Michael's attention basically and. Just hearing these quotes from Michael regarding Kobe, he was talking to like Tim Hardaway and stuff. He's like, and then here's like it says here description in the article. His article was written by James Herbert for CBS. It was published about two hours ago, apparently. Um, and pretty much he said what he got from the Jordan course is like there's some tension back back then, but how in the locker room? MSG George says that little liquor boy is going to take everybody one on one, and Tim Hardaway's like, I know, right? And he's like, don't let, don't let the game come to him. He just go out there and take it. I'm gonna make that shit happen. I'm gonna make this a one-on-one game. And you saw on the like, basically on the footage, you know, saw like Kobe was guarding MJ. And it was pretty much Kobe on Michael, and it was like watching him like do one-on-one. And, and then like as uh, off camera, then All Star says he figured Brian would chill out the first four attempts. And Jordan's like, after his first four attempts, he says, if I was his teammates, I would have passed him the ball. You want this ball again, brother? You better rebound. Yeah. It was great <laughs> hearing him talk about that shit in the locker room with all those stars in there. And then, like, but he, he, the one thing I really loved about that conversation he was having, like, because Jordan's like the alpha male in there. And, like, he goes, uh, he says, like, you better watch that. You better watch him because he'll go one on one with you guys all day. He was talking about Kobe. He wouldn't say the name. He's like, yeah, that little L.A., you know, that L.A. guy, that L.A. boy? He's like, yeah, he'll go one-on-one on you guys. I don't care. He's like, he's probably going to drop 50 today. And then, uh, but he's like, Jordan knew. Because why? Because he saw that in him. He saw himself. He started to develop seeing his perspective on seeing Kobe and seeing the... the direction what the NBA is going towards. No, yes, but, like, he respected Kobe a lot on a player level because he was just as obsessed. Mm-hmm. Based on those phone calls and reaching out, like they developed a relationship. We just never got to see that because, like, obviously Jordan, the, which they cover a lot in these two episodes, Jordan's like frustrations with the media and really because, and uh, and obviously Kobe kind of carrying the torch with the you know the ninety, just like how Jordan said in the previous episodes, like oh well, that was in the eighties. Remember when the dream team? Which actually that was probably the episode. No, I know, but remember the dream team when they're the practice. And on uh, Magic and Bird, when they're walking out of the locker room, they're getting ready, and Bird had a suit on still. He's like, oh, hey, Magic. And he's like, oh, well, you guys did that shit in the past, but this is the 90s. Remember, because he used to complain about it. I was like, oh, come on, that's not a foul when Magic was going nuts. Oh, that's we'll talk about that. That's in the Dream Team. But yeah, but that's... that's oh, the, the All-Star game. We talk about the All-Star game when Magic was visiting the locker room, so when Bird was he, the coach. Yeah, and he was complaining about certain things. But even... No, but even in the in the Dream Team practice, the, okay, one, okay, the, okay. The, the infamous practice they had... And that time, like, they were just heated talks, and, and Jordan's like, sorry, it's like, it's you guys 90s. had it in the 80s, but it's my time now, this is the 90s. He's yeah. like, no, this is the 90s now, he's like, you guys are done, and like, if, like, 
just to see how fucking sharp focused on his craft he was, he, like saying that to two other legends who went back to back from the 70s to the 80s, it's like, fuck, it's intense. But um, we got to see, like, the thing about these documentaries, which uh, I'll say it again because I think our podcast is similar, is the fact that we jump around a lot, and I get that, we might sound a little clustered. But from here, um, I'm on the Wikipedia page, Go oh, Last Dance, right? And it says episode five, and they just put, like, whoever's editing this, they just put, like, one sentence kind of small brief summary thing, or, like, the title from it, kind of like a subtitle, and it just says, like, episode five, um, from Air Jordan to be like Mike to the 1992 NBA Finals and the Olympic Dream Team, Michael becomes a global icon unlike any other. So, they kind of flowed for how Jordan's pinnacle of, like, notoriety was definitely, like, it's always been, never, it's never been, like, a... Uh, it's always been a tsunami wave all the time. Jordan, he he was super big. So, like, going from that and then Be Like Mike, which was definitely in the early 90s, once they got in the, like, second, third championship, they were really going hard on it because, like, obviously, they got the Dynasty one. It's like they're, they're, they got the dynasty going. Like, yeah, like no team has done yeah. like that one. Done, no team has never done a three P. Never. And then it's been really, like yeah. And then of course you know the, the like you said the be like my thing was he was being portrayed as a hero because a lot of kids wanted to be like him. Like they wanted to look up to him because he became like this whole like I said he became an, an icon, icon basically yeah. and. You know, everyone's you know, but of course, the media being the media, they want to find the seed because sometimes every great hero has a weakness or has a flaw. That's what they do. And they what like I like about this documentary, kind of, you know, it talks about, you know, even MJ said it himself. I don't like, you know, with the whole media going on is gambling and stuff. You know how you like to like ban on playing golf or playing cards or something. That's right. But it's like every person has a weakness. It's not like nobody's perfect. To me, like I don't see. I saw MJ for what he was during that time in the growing up in the nineties was more like his playing skills. Him as a person, like I said, I was more in awe of his playing skills on the on the court. His off the court stuff, you know what? I, I was a kid, I didn't know any better, but honestly looking at it now, I like for the fact they talk about it at least and how they brought Sam Smith, who was a longtime writer for Chicago Tribune. He always covered the Bulls, specifically MJ, how you know what I like about you know they talk about the practice with Jordan like punch Will Purdue and you know we got into a tent even got like but Jordan said himself he doesn't have a gambling problem he has a competitive problem he even said himself he's really competitive doesn't matter if you're not playing basketball he's competitive a lot of things and the documentary show that come on he was playing a coin game with a bunch of security guards betting money yeah which was like crazy people who like, he didn't want to lose he had that whole mentality that he didn't want to lose but he he missed defeat. And, of course, they bring up all this whole thing about this drug deal that Jordan paid, like, $57,000. But it was for because he was paying off a debt he owned to him for a golf game. You know, for it was paying off a golf game, not for, like, Friends drugs and stuff. But it's kind of hilarious how they brought that up. Because I guess he was being investigated. Jordan was being investigated. But he, Jordan said, it was to pay off a golf debt. Because he played against this guy. Oh, man. And he didn't know about it. And he played golf. And then, of course, they talk about the, I guess, the infamous... Atlantic City night before Game Two of the NBA and uh, the Conference Finals against the uh, Knicks. So we'll talk about that too. But that was his dad telling him to take a break. That well, all the pressure. It was all the pressure he's getting built upon him. Well, that's why. So it goes from the, the release of his shoes, become gaining notoriety to the be like Mike, and then leading straight into the '92 championship and winning that, and to the Dream Team. Like his the his airness was just skyrocketing. There's nothing wrong you can do. And what I really love about this is the fact that like. They present these pressure, high pressure media situations and stuff, and every time his parents always step in to provide some sort of relief, which hence leads into him finding relief because it's just like he's never alone. 
Um, there's a part where he's in the hotel room when they're in Monaco after the practice and like just meet ever. He's like, gets out the hotel room, media already waiting outside his door, goes in the elevator, media already waiting outside, like outside the elevator. Then from there, gets on the bus, practice bus to get into the, the stadium, media waiting over there. Going inside just to get dressed, there's media waiting in the locker room and on the courts. Like they even had an hour for press just to sit there taking pictures on the court until they got out. Even then, people weren't leaving. So, like, it was insane. And then you got the internet, the res- like the citizens of the country they were in, in Italy, like, they were going nuts. So, like... In, no, Spain. It was in Barcelona. Oh, sorry, Spain. Yeah, and so... Yeah, but the practice was in Monaco. Yeah, and plus the, the team had... And the funny thing is, they were so popular, they had to stay in a hotel outside the Olympic Village. So they couldn't stay yeah. with the other athletes because the whole media attention was, like, there because, yeah. I mean... I mean, we'll talk about the Dream Team, but I want to go back to Jordan, New York, because the yeah, article right, yeah. kind of talks about how about the All Star Game mostly, um, and talks about you know, of course, uh, like I said, they talked about the exchange and stuff. And, um, I guess uh, it says there was a brief exchange between Jordan and Mr. Conference coach Labor the team photo shoot. This is a quote from the article, in which Bird says, "So are you feeling all right, huh?" Dakari does explain, however, that Jordan had a flu leading up to the All Star Game. He missed practice, was this question before the game, but. Says Bird told Newsday's Mike Gavin back in 2015 that my Jordan was clear. He's still sick on the bus to the arena, but Brian got him going. Kobe was trying to go after Michael early again. Michael started going back at him. So pretty much Kobe became like the motivation for MJ. And it says during the game, my was trying to be Jordan bench. Him being very, very aggressive, Jordan said in the broadcast, if I knew someone was sick, certainly the first thing I do, I go after someone. I got to defend myself. You know, he's going to play defense. It's like I got to play defense. He said that he hadn't been near a basketball for three or four days. Well, look at this. He still sh- he still shows strong. Um, he finished uh, with game high twenty three points on ten for eighteen shooting, plus eight assists, six rebounds, three steals, and of course he got his third All Star Game MVP award. And Kobe himself had eighteen points, which was like the most of any West player on ten for sixteen shooting, plus one assist, three rebounds, and two steals. And look at this. That <laughs> they actually put a clip in the article from YouTube, which well, of course we can't play it as a copyright, but but it's kind of oh, yeah, we can't. Okay, but and it says here, and Jordan said, "Look, this is what he said for the reflection of that night. He's like, I didn't really didn't expect to come in here and win the MVP award. I just wanted to make sure Kobe didn't dominate me. <laughs> it was a good battle. It was fun. He attacked. The hype was me versus him. I knew I wasn't a hundred percent, and he was. And it was biting at the bit. I just glad I was able to fight him off. And it says here, not everybody loved Brian's approach. <laughs> it says here, the Michael versus Kobe storyline started before the game even day. Even though one of them was near his thirty fifth birthday, the other was only nineteen. The press, Brian downplayed poor showboat, the life code Brian by Ronald Lazenby. I guess this is from an article from a book. Um, it says here, Dominic question repeated often was a request for Brian to compare himself with Jordan. There are any similarities between his reply other than we're both 6'6", we're really athletic. I mean, he's Michael Jordan. I wanted to eventually be one of the best players in the league. Looking back to two years later, I just didn't know that other people were urging me to do, be that, the right, that right away. Everybody was expecting me to be the next Michael Jordan. I thought I was going to sneak through the back door. So yeah. even Kobe, when being at 19 years old, even he got the pressure. Yeah, it's... Well, because it's, the media kind of dubbed him as the next, next NJ, basically. Ridiculous. That's their job is to blow shit out of the proportion. Um, but yeah, we, we see Jordan... Um, and I really, really love about that. And I want to go back to the hotel room. Okay, go ahead. He, he points out, like, he's just laying there on the couch. He's got a cigar lit. He's like, ah. He's like, this is my favorite time where I'm this... Where I can't, like... Where none of you guys are, or he like, I think he says fucking bothering me, but obviously he says, he's like, when none of you guys are fucking bothering me, and he's like, I get to just sit in this room and be by my, be Michael again, like be himself, like there's nobody bothering on him, he can, 
he had his, uh, you know, he was just chilling, like, before he had to go out there, and, like, that's his actual moment of zen, um, and before he goes back to being Michael in this, it's an extreme amount of pressure, like, it's ridiculous, man, it's, it's so much pressure having to see this guy, and although we love to see him perform, and, and probably, arguably, maybe the greatest athlete to ever, to ever participate in organized sports. But nonetheless, I, it, it's amazing to me that um, I I just feel grateful that they're really showing us. Uh, obviously, there's a final edit, so like it's really cool that we're getting to see a good side of Michael uh, more into into how his experience was with this shit, man. Because like we never really see that. We're always worshiping the thing, but you gotta understand, like man, I put that puts some dents into people. And honestly, I think what that hit the bubble, and he had a fine release, and so it was cigars. Golf, uh, obviously gambling was already a thing because of his competitiveness. That's like that's an addiction. We all have it, except we see that with players. Except we don't say anything because he's got a lot of money. Like he's made of money. He's never gambling. Like his, like he's never gonna go broke. But he is someone who shows signs of addiction, and and people write that off just because he's Michael Jordan. It's like no, he does have an issue. It's definitely a mental illness with that because like. He just, I'm not saying to be the greatest, you do definitely need to like really tunnel vision, single hope focus into one thing if you want to be the greatest at one thing. But man, like he was the greatest at one thing and people only wanted him to do that. And and he had to always be on all the time. It sucks, man. So he, if his release was having a cigar all the time, uh, <laughs> gambling for, for pennies and, and his point for based on his wealth, and pennies to him. I mean, he was betting even the security guards who would watch him, and they weren't even in high stakes. And they're security guards. Like he just want his. He just loves to win. So like, <laughs> I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that he found things that could help relief. Find some sort of relief in his pressure, man. Because that's mm-hmm. you can't. You can't keep it on all day. You just can't. It's impossible. Um. But yeah, they they show the All Star game, and then we go to the Be Like Mike. Um, and they uh, what I really love about that part too is they show us uh, the like I guess the beginnings of his uh, him getting shopped around for shoe deals. Oh because yeah, they want to market him better yeah. after his like rookie season. And uh, he might we we not, I didn't know this. I, I don't think a lot of people knew this, but Michael actually had his heart set on Adidas. He's always yeah, been a Adidas fan. Yeah. And um, he actually got the meeting. They were excited to have him, but they weren't ready for some... They weren't ready. And they weren't ready to... I guess on their end, they weren't fully committed right away. Yeah, they didn't they, want to take the chance. Yeah, because I think Converse at the time, yeah. they were the main shoe provider for the NBA. But Jordan, like, he... like Yeah, he, he saw Converse, but most of the stuff he was using... Everybody was on Converse. But yeah, mostly he, he was using Adidas, Adidas. But of course, Adidas at the time... I think when it came to shoemaking for them, I don't think they were in that market yet. They were more like the, I think they were known more for like soccer and like. Oh yeah, they're well, they're European. European based company. Uh, yeah. Then of course Nike. You know Nike was all in the track field at the time, but they, they were, were up. They were upstarting. They were, they were upstart. Yeah, they were an upstart company. And then of course he didn't want to go to a meeting to the point like his age at the time. David Falk was telling urging him, "Hey, Michael, go to this meeting." To the point he had to get his parents like to try to reach out, like say, "Hey." The, agent, what, the, the yeah. agent got reached out to Michael's parents saying, you know, Michael doesn't want to go meet with Nike. You know, they want to give a pitch. Of course, Nike being the upstart, or so far they're known in a track and field game. Yeah. 
It was all in the... Track and field, basically. Yeah, you know, like in the Pacific Northwest. And then his parents were able to... They go here. This is a thing I pulled from Nick DePaul. This is from the Takeaways article on ESPN. I like how they do these takeaways and they ask all these, like, writers. Um, it's all about the Nike thing. And this is what Nick DePaul wrote. I'm going to read his quote, guys. So this is from Nick DePaul from the ESPN Takeaway. And this is what he says. It's a lot of concern that Michael's parents each changed the course of sneaker history not once, but twice. MJ said himself, I was Adidas, revealed the documentary. The lawyer's Jordan convinced her son to take the swoosh meeting. He remembers Michael saying, I'm not going to Mike, Nike, mama. <laughs> yeah. Jordan almost tried to leave Nike in 1987 after Peter Moore, the Air, Air Jordan 1 and 2 designer, was hired by Adidas. At the height of his descent, Jordan was four hours late to his Air Jordan 3 meeting because he was out golfing. This time it was his father, James, who pushed him to make the meeting, honor his Nike contract, and stay put. But at the same time, his parents are saying, hey, listen to the Nike meeting and see what it's in. Of course, they signed. You got the Jordan 1 and 2 sneakers. But yeah. interesting to see in 1987 that he wanted to leave after the two shoes. Because the second shoe was suck. The, the Air Jordan 2 suck. They're just those, not... those black and red ones where it kept banned by the NBA because of the or they don't suck. The Jordan ones were great. They just kept banning it, and the, so in turn the sales were affected. Nike wasn't going to pay the Nike fines. They didn't want to pay their shit because they honestly they probably didn't have the money to do it. And so like, it it sucks. And it's a nice shoe. It's a the shoe is fine. It just sucks that like. It kind of, it, it most likely rubbed Jordan the wrong way. It's like, because what happens, Jordan has always been like, oh, you're going to tell me I can't do it? I'm going to do it even more. Even like to the point that we'll cover in the when we get to the Olympic part of everything. Um, no, we'll talk about that when we get into it. But like, he... But endorsement like this Jordan brand now, like I'm wearing a Jordan shirt right now. Because I, that's a, I blew, but what's funny is because... Nike came out with the whole Air Jordan, which I thought, you know, Jordan's yeah, side cool. of it, it was Nike that came up with it. It was kind of interesting. Well, they were already doing um, a lot of their track shoes. I was reading earlier. A lot of their track shoes, they they are, were already releasing a line that were basically like air, air like technology, kind of like these air pump shocks, uh, which are not good for you folks. Uh, obviously, over these years, they've done a lot of studies. It's not good for you. I don't recommend those. Uh, not saying that those are in the Jordan shoes, but just in the, in the at those times, a lot of the running training shoes were air these like this air mattress type technology in the sense that like you aerodynamic or something yeah. yeah you fill in these pockets of air and it's supposed to provide extra cushion and, and good for soul whatever um and i think jordan that like they want to combine that with jordan because he plays in the air and so it's like air jordan like that's perfect i'm over here like thinking like damn dude i'm surprised nobody's done like a an air flight like an airplane like company doing this of his own private company doing like air jordan flights like, you know he can afford it. Dude, I, if I had money and he had, like, a designated Jordan, like, Air Jordan private flying service and I had the money to do it, I would fucking do it. Well, he did hit a restaurant a long time ago in Chicago, but yeah. that was years ago, but... I feel like steak. Um, they're still gone. Uh, I feel like steak. It's pretty good still. Uh, but, obviously, we don't know now because of the poison... With the poison, sorry. With the virus going on. But, it was interesting to see, like... Nike really did a good job. They were trying to pitch them. You know, they were there. You know, they had the banner ready. We welcome you, Michael Jordan. And, like, uh, and his family. And his mom was there. It was just him and his mom. And they were just hanging out. And they pitched him. And they had the thing. And he's like, you know what? All right, I'm going to do it. Because, really, his mom had to convince him hard. It's like, you should give him a chance. Like, they did a good pitch. You heard Adidas already. They honestly didn't come. They, they weren't ready. They didn't take the plunge. And I don't blame them. You a, a lot in the comment sections. Um, I was reading on Reddit for mm-hmm. this uh, for the Bulls subreddit. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people were talking about like 
I wonder why a lot of people are being negative or saying like, "Oh, Adidas are dumb because you didn't. You should have gotten." You should have banked Like, who would have known at that time? Like, he had just got of. Uh, he just got of. Um, what he, he just got drafted to the NBA. He barely get drafted. Like, if they didn't do their research, how would they honestly know how because well they, he was? They didn't like. Yeah. Yeah. So like, honestly, and if Adidas didn't felt like it was already a risk getting into because they didn't industry, know then... how big of an athlete he was. Because honestly, the only time the world got more to see him was during the '84 Olympics. That was the only time they got to see Michael Jordan on a world stage. But it's like, like you said, like they, Adidas wasn't prepared because they didn't know how marketable, how big of a catch he is. I mean, like I said, like I mentioned earlier, Converse was the main shoe provider in the NBA. They were the shoe provider on the NBA. You saw the commercial they showed. I was kind of like the fact they showed a Converse commercial. That was kind of cool. They saw all the stars they were endorsing. Yeah, but, you know, but then just saying, I'm Adidas guy. Like, he's showing, hey, I have a preference. But it's like, you know... But like you said, Adidas were at that time they you know they were into like basketball and like I said they didn't know how big Michael Jordan was gonna be. So then Nike, you know, being the upstarts from the Pacific Northwest, you know, they wanted to get their hand on in the NBA, they wanna get into the basketball game as well. That's why they tried to do that pitch on MJ because MJ was trying to brush him off, of course, to the point he went to his folks saying, Hey his Bob's like, Hey, go ahead, give him a chance. Let's do the pitch, like you said. They went to the thing, listen to the pitch, and look at that, the deal was signed. Yeah. And the rest is history to the point that now, and Jordan now has his own brand. He's got athletes playing under his brand, and he's pretty much you see like soccer teams have his brand on there. Like I think PSG has the Jordan brand football jerseys, and then Michigan has Jordan brand football jerseys. American football, sorry, college football jerseys. Of course, you know all the Hornets and. Because remember, Jordan owns the Charlotte Hornets. So he has the Jordan marking on there. He's has his influence on there. And he's got a lot of athletes under his label. Because Jordan, at the time, you know, he's a really good, like, businessman. Same thing. You know, now he's he's a, he's business savvy. But it's like, like you said, that was an interesting story. Because I never knew that, you know, he actually had a shoot preference. Like, black people think, oh, he was just going with Nike because of Nike. No, it's because Nike at the time was big an upstart company. They was trying to break into the They, they had the pitch, man. They took the risk. They wanted to take the... They, not even a risk. They wanted to make the, the choice to invest in who they thought could really carry the brand. And they did it. And they honestly found a good person to do it with. So... You can't blame Adidas for doing that. If they, it's a business thing, if they don't feel like they're confident, especially entering a market that they never did really before, it's natural. I mean, they did with the Adidas superstars, and it was big in the hip hop game. So I think that kind of influenced Jordan too, as well, because Run DMC signed a major contract, a major contract with Adidas for that for the shoe. I mean, they made a song for them. So like, for Jordan, I'm not surprised. And we and they showed the little clips when he's in his room. And you should, like, lacing up the Adidas sneakers. You saw like, this college practice and the college yeah, practice. Yeah, college. No, I mean, UNC were only using Adidas. So, like, you know, you, you develop you develop loyalty with any brands. Like, come on. Who doesn't develop a loyalty to a brand that they like? Like, I, I like Puma a lot. I like Adidas and Puma. Not a big Nike guy. Not really. But I don't mind it. Like, I, I'm a Jordan guy, so I'll, I'll, I'll wear Jordan. I haven't done it in a long time because their shoes are... Way too, their shoes are expensive, and I don't, I just rather use the money towards other things. But to each their own, I'm not a big sneakerhead, but uh, I love Jordan, so it's like it's hard, it's hard not to like, it's hard not to understand where he was coming from on, on uh, being a little hesitant signing with Nike. 
And then, of course, you know, episode 5 goes into the second championship where they face the Portland Trailblazers, you know. And Jordan had that one game where he went, like, long range during that one game. He record, he scored, like, 35 oh, yeah. points. Oh, yeah, he was testing the The three-pointers, man, his jump straps the long range. Uh. And, of course, um, then goes going towards, you know. And, of course, they win the second championship. They do it at home. Um, and they talk about, you know, pretty much... Um, the whole, I think they remember that political thing I talked about. They went to put they went to episode oh, political about the yeah, whole the, Harvard get thing. The uh, how Jordan got caught saying, "Wait, the two governors that were running in Virginia, North Carolina, North Carolina. For, for a for a governor, I think mm-hmm. it was." And of course, you know, Harvard Gantt being the first, you know, he could have been the first African American governor and running against a very, very, very racist uh, current and well, not current, but in those incumbent, days, yeah. that was actually the incumbent, and he was very and it was making it very clear in his policies and stuff and. And, and MJ, and they were trying to reach out to MJ for an endorsement because he was from North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Of course, I just said no. He contributed, but he didn't want to endorse. Like he yeah, didn't, he didn't want to officially endorse it. Yeah, but and of course, he got quoted for saying Republicans buy sneakers too. And I, <laughs> fuck, he's not wrong. I mean, he's he's not wrong. But I, it's because, like, honestly, he was just. And I, I love that they got quotes from um, Barack, Barack Obama. Oh, yeah, they talk about it here. Yeah. There's nobody else who could relate to him on that amount of pressure coming from that and then your responsibility towards the African-American community as an African-American. Like, nobody can relate to that better than fucking Barack Obama and Michael Jordan. So, like, it was amazing getting to see him talk Like, about his reaction it, to that. Or just, like, him showing understanding or, and sympathy towards, like, Michael and during those times. And Michael was so young at that time. And he was only focused on the one thing, he, experting his craft, being the best, the greatest. He didn't want, and he said, look, he contributed, but he didn't want to officially endorse because he understood the consequences. He didn't want to alienate anyone because, like he mentioned, Republicans buy shoes too. And unfortunately, like, if he's a, if that's how the cookie crumbles, man, then you're going to go that way. Like, he's a capitalist too. He wants to make his money just like anyone else, but he wants to do it playing the sport he loves. So maybe he saw it as a way of Michael Jordan, or a way of um, if I play basketball, everything is gonna come. Like I gotta master this, and everything comes around it. It's like Bruce Lee, it's like Jackie Chan. They master their own craft, and this is what gets people. This is what makes you stand out: is your craft the most, how well you cater to it, how passionate you are about it, and it shows in the greatness. And uh, it was I, I I really enjoyed that segment they had because it was cool. I mean. I, I can never th- and oh, they showed a little bit of Muhammad Ali and his activism because he's I, right there. Jordan said it himself. Remember, he's like, I'm not an activist, so don't. I'm not. He's like, I'm not an activist, but I do understand like what responsibility I have in society as as a polarizing popular figure. Um, and uh, it, it, we see that culminate going into or after the '92 championship win, going into the Dream Team. Stuff. Okay, here we go. So, let's talk about the Dream Team selection so, yeah, because, let's of talk course, about the Olympics. because you saw that Ron Thorne was one of the he worked on the committee as well. Mm-hmm. Of course, you had it, Michael. Of course, Michael was added, and of course, they, Wait, they pulled the list. Yeah, pulled the, the roster for the Dream Team, dude. And we'll talk about like the omission that, everyone, of course, this documentary kind of focused on one of the biggest omissions from like the Dream Team itself. Because, of course, uh, people are probably were expecting us to talk about it. It's like, see if you want to pull up the full roster for the 92 Dream Team. Yeah. Okay. All right, the official lo- roster. Okay. 
So power forward is Christian Leitner. Centers are David Robinson and Patrick Ewing. Uh, forwards are Larry Bird, Scottie Pippen. And at guards, there's Michael Jordan, Clyde Drexler, Carl Malone, John Stockton. Um, two more forwards off coming off the bench, Chris Mullen and uh, good old Chuck, Charles Barkley. And uh, one of the GOATs, uh, Magic Johnson. So... Just saying, if you're uh, any familiar with basketball or, or a basketball head or something, you got you can't honestly say that's not a dream team. <laughs> Especially in that era, like all those players were at the top, like not the top of the game, obviously, but those those players were like fucking. They're amazing. At each each player on that team is amazing. And of course, the biggest thing why the biggest thing that took away from the from the documentary was Isaiah Thomas not being considered. That was one of the biggest things that well, they actually team. touched upon was why he didn't make the team because and you know the press was trying to ask Michael was did he have any influence of why and he he mentioned like some like he didn't want to mention that himself, but other players felt that based on you know Isaiah's behavior, they didn't want him on the team. You know, my MJ didn't want to show. He didn't want to say himself, but of course, Isaiah Thomas. Why I think that Michael had some kind of influence in it. But it's like I understand what the other players are coming from. We we saw in the episodes before about Isaiah Thomas's behavior. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can respect him as a as a player, you know. But when it comes to a person outside the core and you know his it's attitude, it's on there. Yeah, it's on the Wikipedia page. Oh god. Um. So so there's the selections. Uh, I'm I'm reading this story from the Wikipedia page. Uh, so the first ten players that were selected on the team: Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen of the Bulls, John Stockton, Carmelo of the Jazz, Magic Johnson of the LA Lakers, Larry Bird of the Boston Celtics, Patrick Ewing of the New York Knicks, and Chris Mullen of the Golden State Warriors, David Robinson of the San Antonio Spurs, uh, Charles Barkley of the Philadelphia Sixers. Most of the players were at at or near the peaks of their careers in the NBA. Bird had back trouble, but was selected to the team's historic nature due to the team's historic nature. Robinson had played with the 1988 Olympic team and was eager to earn a gold medal at Barcelona. Johnson had retired from the Lakers in November in 1991 after testing positive for HIV. His teammates expected Johnson to die from the disease, and he later described his selection for the Olympics as almost like a lifesaver, evidence that he could still overcome the illness and live a productive life. The Australian Olympic delegation prominently threatened to boycott the games in protest of Johnson's presence, which was huge because HIV was still very much under-researched and uh, the stigma and misinformation that the media would portray, it just, it sucks that it happened in a polarizing figure such as Michael Jackson during the during the 1980s, and it sucks that, like, he was a, a very good public personality and likable, and it sucks that, like, ignorance took over that platform onto him and... So I told him Magic Johnson. Yeah, Magic Johnson. He said Michael Jackson. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Magic Johnson. Uh, he didn't have HIV, by the way. No, he's no, no, still no. dead nonetheless. Uh, the Australian Olympic delegation, they did do that. So even with Johnson's presence, feared that he might have infected other athletes, their threats backfired. However, as he Johnson received even more public support, Ewing, Jordan, and Mullen had won the gold at the 1984 games, but Malone for instance, had not made the team and had seen his non-selection in 84 as a challenge. On May 12, 1992, Clyde Drexler of the Portland Trailblazers was chosen over Isaiah Thomas of the Pistons for the final professional roster spot. As an acknowledgement to the previous amateur system, the USA Basketball Committee decided to include one collegiate player on the team. 
Christian Leitner of Duke University was added on May 12th, chosen over Louisiana State University's Shaquille O'Neal, which they go more on that, uh, why he was picked, ba- mainly because he had better success in the, the tournaments because he won two back... Uh, Christian Leitner won with the the blue the Duke Blue Devils, like back-to-back NCAA National Championships, uh, numerous awards, and, and honestly, they just felt like he and Shaq's team lost in the second round of the playoffs or the tournament, so they felt like Christian Leitner was just a better player at the time. Um, but now the speculation, which we're seeing it culminate in this documentary, and it's obviously sparked a viral debate on, like, if Isaiah Thomas learned his lesson ever, is he ever going to? Uh, but it says, um, there was speculation that Thomas is not part of the team because Jordan would participate only if Thomas is not in the roster. At the time, it was widely believed that Jordan did not like Thomas because he was seen as the ringleader of the Detroit Pistons team of the late 80s and early 90s, known as the Bad Boys, who employed overtly physical tactics against Jordan in the NBA playoffs. In his 2012 book, Dream Team, author Jack McCollum quotes Jordan as saying to the Team USA Selection Committee member, Rob Thorne, Rod, I don't want to play if Isaiah Thomas is on the team. In 2020, Thorne issued a statement disputing that the version of the events there was never anything in my conversation with Jordan that had to do with the Isaiah Thomas period. After the selection of the first 10 members of the team, Johnson released an official statement in support of Thomas, but years later it was discovered that his support was less than enthusiastic. In the book, When the Game Was Ours, uh, Magic Johnson said, Isaiah killed his own chances when he came to the Olympics. Nobody, nobody on that team wanted to play with them. Longtime NBA player J- analyst Jan Hubbard claims that when John Stockton got injured at the 1992 Tournament of the Americas, his potential replacement would have been Thomas's Thomas's teammate Joe Dumars. Damn, that would have been a slap in the face of mm-hmm. Isaiah Thomas. Cause like, I mean, as I look at the roster, what sure would they need another? Would they need? Joe Dumars is another shooting guard? Probably not. Because, I mean, Joe can play the one and the two. And Stockton only played the one. But at the same time, it's like... Why wouldn't she just get Isaiah Thomas? And the fact there is, because not a lot of the guys on the team like them. No. They played fucking dirty. And he doesn't want to see that. No. It's like, you're kind of an asshole, dude. And it showed, as we get the little interviews from the past episodes we've seen. So, I, I, it's, it's funny that this is escalating... Oh, wow. It's like, it's Game of Thrones for, for sports lovers. This is what it is. It's just like all this stupid drama. But yeah, the, the Olympics started off pretty hot way before they even got there. Um, but they left behind such a legacy, like literally destroying that tournament. God, it was like once they got professionals in, it was like watching uh, a lot. A lot. I've seen a lot of people complain. It was like watching Harlem Goldtrapper games, but with the NBA players. So it's just like. The best that NBA has to offer, and they're just rolling through these teams. Um, and except, like, as we see, they 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 got the first run in with uh, Tony Kukoc, uh, the yeah. Croatian sensation. Oh yeah, we have to talk about that Which, because yeah, honestly, I have an article on that too. Yeah, if you want to go to that, but I don't know if you want to talk about that infamous practice. Yeah, yeah, sure. This got to, they're talk about that here too, like success. I think I pulled something about it. Let me see if I can pull yeah. it. Right now. I think I saw it right now. Oh, where is it? Last day of single takeaways. Because they actually talk a little brief about that whole practice and stuff. It's like. Yeah, early. Because they they start with early scrimmages, and then the first official tournament that the Dream Team made their debut in internationally was on June 28th at the Tournament of Americas, of the Americas, an Olympic qualifying event in Portland, Oregon. The team defeated Cuba 
136-57, prompting Cuban coach Miguel Calderon Gómez to say, you can't cover the sun with your finger. Uh, Marv Albert, who announced the game, recalled that it was as if the Americans were playing a high school team or a grade school team. They were so overwhelming, a blot after blot, the Cubans were the first of many opponents who were more interested in taking photos with the Americans than playing them. <laughs> the next five games were also easy victories for Team USA, which ended in the tournament on July 5th with a 27-80 victory over Venezuela to get to in the championship game to win the tournament and be the four America squads qualifying for the Olympics. Um, but yeah, the scrimmages were probably... Man, they should have a book just on the practices. That yeah, and I on. think, I guess, uh, according to this, they had one where, I guess it never shown here, but one of the writers here on ESPN, Tim Botes, um, talks about how they have one practice film where they played against, they practiced against a bunch of uh, college players, with including Bobby Hurley and Chris Webber. But they never showed the last dance. What they showed was the game, and Marty Carlos was a scrimmage game laid by Charles Barkley and Eric Johnson. They were captains of each other's team. It was led by Charles Barkley and Eric Johnson, and it took on a team led by Jordan. So it was a scrimmage game. You know, practice scrimmage. And of course, like you said, you said that quote earlier about Jordan, what Jordan said to Johnson, like, this is the 90s. As to Johnson, as he was on his way to winning scrimmage, was a single third winning room. My time is now, and how Magic got so frustrated, he threw the ball into the, the to stand. the empty stands. Yeah, but looking at that practice, though, they were aggressive even when it was a practice game. That was an All Star game when they tried. Every time it was an All Star game. That was a- yeah, an All Star game, but they tried. Yeah, it's so wild. Like. It says, um, no, they even mentioned, okay, uh, to help the team prepare for the Olympics, a squad of the best NCAA college players was formed. Um, some of these players included, let's see, they will hope they resemble the style of play of the European stream team. Members include the penetrating guard, Bobby Hurley, um, all-around players such as Grant Hill, Penny Hardway, outside shooter Alan Houston, and the tough Chris Weber and Eric Montrose. Uh, Grant Hill and Penny Harbour will play for the 1996 national team later on and Alan Houston in 2000. So you see, at least they got their chance to be on the Olympic team later on. So they, as like Larry Bird and Magic got that shot because of their, you know, because they allowed, they allowed, yeah. Yeah. And plus they allowed NBA players to participate. So it's like, oh, thank God. It's like that, that, that's like what way to send it off. Right. So the dream team in its own right was, it's so wild and to, to see how well they performed and just rolling through. Like, it, it really was... It, it cemented Jordan as not only being, like, a an American, like... Well, an Olympian now, but it, it brought, like, America, the NBA into the mainstream and made it cool. Like, everyone loved the basketball. And, like, they loved watching basketball. It made it, it, made it global. Yeah, and the Dream Team helped yeah. propel that completely to the main stage. Um and the one thing I did want to point out about the Olympics, so on the golden, uh, when they the gold the gold ceremony when they received the medals, mm-hmm. um, there was the whole Reebok made the warm up made the warm made the warm ups. They were contracted to make the warm ups, and Jordan, who obviously was sponsored by Nike, he was loyal. He was very loyal to them, and he felt that he, he you know he was very vocal about his like thing with he's like i don't want to do that he's like i'm i'm not, i'm a nike guy i'm loyal to my like who i am and, or my, i can't be shown on tv team. wearing a Reebok. yeah i can't be yeah i can't have this logo um and but people are just like well you're going to have to join like oh, you got to wear the jacket he's like you have to wear the jumper oh, you're not going to get your medal or you're not going to get the medal he's like all right and then jordan fashion he he's going to spin on his own he's going to find a way to do it so what does he do the one thing you can't argue against 
And which was so fucking smart. He puts the American flag and drapes it over, ah, uh, you know, ever so slightly that possibly he's covering the Reebok logo in its entirety. But who would have thought? Hey, it's he's just showing his patriotism. So at the end of the day, that worked against everyone's perceptions at Reebok. They got fucked with that. Saying so like, oh, gotcha. So he's like, oh, you're going to tell me what to do? Watch this. <laughs> Boom. I love it. And he was just like, hey. Tell me, oh, you're going to tell me to, to take off the American flag after we won a tournament representing the pride of America and its best athlete? Are you kidding me? Oh, okay. Yeah, good luck with good luck getting some PR then. Reebok wouldn't even be a thing if that happened during this day. So they got lucky. But, man, it was just to show you the power Jordan fucking had and how, like, comp- even in that stuff, he was competitive. The most smallest things, you know, I mean, like, I love it that he was showing loyalty towards Nike, too. But, like, damn, that's so funny. Like, he, he, in his own way, he found a way to be himself, to express himself the way he wanted to in the public spotlight, especially in a freaking gold medal ceremony. After the after you won the Olympics, like what? All right. So prior to the Dream Team winning the gold medal, they had to face um. Well, they faced Croatia in the gold medal game, but they faced them earlier on, which we want to bring up to the point was the whole Tony Kukoc thing. Yes. So let me start off because so I found an uh, article in the Chicago Tribune. Okay. Uh, it is called "Who Is Tony Kukoc? Uh, five things to know about the third leading scorer during the Chicago Bulls' second three-peat. Um. They just kind of summarize about these two, these episodes of the documentary. Uh, they kind of reflect again on the, on the Jerry Krause strain with uh, the relationship with him and Michael, and just the or, and just the separation on the hike. Who's trying to lead what? And uh, Jerry Krause took a liking while he was scouting during the off seasons. He took a liking to go into the Euroleague because he noticed uh a lot of college players were able that were also getting imp- uh migrating to the US to play college ball and the Euroleague starting popularity because of its its uh the players are getting more competitive but they've always had that reputation that which I think NBA players kind of pushed that was the fact that oh Euroleague that's a soft play like that's not yeah. that's not real hard that's not that's not basketball like all right so it was always they always had that that stig- stigma that that was pushed on them without them earning that. So I guess a bright spot of the Euroleague during the during the nineties was Tony Kukoc. He was amazing. Um, he was one of the most decorated European basketball players of all time, or at that time, and probably of all time. Um, it says like the modern NBA is an international game, and some of its brightest stars come from Europe. And he names players such as now, if you keep up. And yeah, there's been a lot. I mean, he, he helped open the gate with this too. I mean, we I'm not saying there weren't any international players in the NBA. We've got Bivak, uh, uh, Manu Abol. Like, there's so many players. But there wasn't a lot. And, like, they didn't take that style of ball seriously. Like, the softs, they called it soft. Because they're like, eh. they had that reputation, right? But Tony Kukoc... They're, they just, like, they always consider them too soft to play in the NBA, right? So, he, he, the first award he got was he won the European Player Award, but he did that five times. Wow. And then he was named Mr. Europa, Europa four times. He won three straight European championships from 1989 to 1991 and was a three-time Final Four MVP in the EuroLeague. That earned him the nickname such as the Croatian Sensation and the White Magic. A reference to his ball handling skills, court vision, and passing range akin uh, to Lakers star Magic Johnson. Because he was a point forward, just like Magic Johnson was. Because of their height, uh, their their handles with the ball, they were just... 
amazing players for what they can do. And with that reputation he carried and the resentment that Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen had towards Jerry Krause because of the contract conflicts going on through those times and, and obviously ever since he got onto the Bulls and his uh, management decisions, we'll say, Kukoc kind of got thrown in the middle of a battle that he didn't even have. Yeah, because this is like what, 1990. He gets drafted. Yeah. gets drafted. This is before Scotty does the the, the contract deal in 91. contract, And of yeah. course, you know, he went to Wisconsin, of course. But, like, I, was, I like for the fact that he reached out to Tony Kukoc for the interviews and stuff, and he said the reason why he couldn't go right away in 1990 was the war. The war that was going on in Croatia, and, you know, Croatia and Yugoslavia at that time, they were trying to branch off from the from Czechoslovakia, they were trying to branch out and be their own countries. So he didn't want to leave his family, which I totally respect. You know, you know, they were for your families. That's why he stayed in the Europe League. And of course, he was hearing that. I don't know. He was hearing the rumors, like you know, that Michael and Pippen weren't happy, or, or he was hearing from the, who knows. He heard from the truth from them, but I think he was afraid that you know he wasn't going to be able to stand out in the NBA. And of course, you saw when the Dream Team came along, you know, Michael and MJ. Michael and Scotty found out that, that Tony Kukoc was Jerry's guy. Yeah, well, this is right here. It's like his first starting with the Dream Team is like Cross's pursuit of Kukoc while Pepin felt he was underappreciated and underpaid really irked us the duo, which is referring to Jordan and Pippen. This before Pippen uh, and this is like actually the first time they come across Kukoc in an early round of the matchup during the 1992 Olympics. The results are ugly. Kraus, quote, Kraus was recruiting this guy and talking about how great he was, Jordan said in NBA TV's documentary, TV, The Dream Team. That's like a father who has all his kids, and now he says another kid that he loves more than he loves his own. Like, that's fucked. Especially because Scotty, like, you know, he, he was getting a, a shit under the stick, being there for so long. And really, you know, he made his name. Like, there was no re- You got to pay the guy. And Kukoc, who was essentially built as the same type of player, point, like, Scotty's a point forward as well, just more defensive-minded, but, like, there you go. It's 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 in, it's insane. So it's so we weren't playing against Sony Kukoc. We were playing against Jerry Kraus in a Croatia uniform. <laughs> Damn, um, that was a quote that I believe who said that Scotty Pippen said. Yeah, um, and then it just says yeah, Pippen and Scotty or Sk- Pippen and Jordan were all over Kukoc, limiting him to in that only first game, four yeah. points and seven turnovers in the the first run in with the dream team Kukoc did way better in the match which they when they put to notice because they're like in the gold medal game yeah it's like no this guy's hard he's he's living in a country that's in war right now he's got to support his family he's a decorated player and he's getting bullshit that he doesn't even deserve from you guys he's got a lot of pressure as it is trying being the star of Croatia and and they're finally going against the freaking dream team like that's already a lot of pressure, and like it's unfair that these that Michael and Kuko and Pippen throw this on him, and it's, he doesn't Kukoc doesn't deserve that because he didn't he was just caught in a gunfire, and like it's it, it's funny it's like only it's like watching ch- children fight, dude. It's it's so funny that these guys like fifty six year old men are still fighting over some shit like this. Oh, except uh, Kraus, of course, because he's passed away. But everyone else, they're like Kukoc, and it was great that they had him in the interview and. Kukoc sitting there, and like you could see it in his attitude. He's like, "Yeah, honestly, I don't know." <laughs> it was just there. It's like I, I, I don't know why they were so like that. To, when they were so, the tension was against me for so much for so long. But I was glad that uh, that he had a chance to uh, go on the Bulls and prove his self worth. 
Alrighty, so that was um, episode five of discussion from episode five of The Last Dance. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, um, we're going to talk about episode six. So stay tuned. Franchise from Talking Pop with the Franchise and Biko. Just let you know, we have a storefront. It's teespring.com slash Talking Pop. We got shirts. We got tank tops for men, women, kids. We also got hoodies and sweatshirts. Um, we actually have coffee mugs and we have an iPhone case and a Samsung case with the Pops or Not logo on there. Also, we have stickers so you can put on your locker, on your laptop, wherever you want to put those stickers on there. So right now, if you go to teespring.com slash TalkingPop, and when you go to check out, use the promo code TalkPop and save $5 on your order. Support the podcast. As always, geek on and take care. Alrighty, we're back. And before we get into a breakdown of episode 6 of The Last Dance, I do found something that I... It came up was um if you ever remember Craig Hodges guys, he was from the first three P and you know he was a three point champion for the Bulls back in nineteen ninety one nineteen ninety two All Star game, and apparently he there's an article I pulled this up from Fox News, ooh Fox News, it's written by Brian Gatos um uh, this was uh leave was it published today yeah it was published about eight hours ago so earlier today um pretty much um. Of course, you know, in the first episodes of the of the documentary series, you know, Jordan A, one of one of the interviewers from the documentary crew asked Jordan about the whole thing about the cocaine traveling circus. Oh, yeah. Traveling cocaine circus. And remember, Craig Hodges was there from nineteen eighty to nineteen ninety two. So he he stayed up to the nineteen ninety two team. And um I guess uh he was interviewed. I guess he wasn't really too happy about that. Um, this is what he said. Um, this is what he said. Uh, being interviewed by Fox Sports Radio. So this is an article that's written by Fox News. This is what he says. One of the things as players, we call this a fraternity. So I'm watching the first episode. And I was upset about the cocaine circus. That bothered me because I was thinking about the brothers who were on that picture with you, who had to explain to their families who are getting ready to watch this great Michael Jordan documentary event, and they know you. Uh, they know you're on the team, and now you got to explain that to a 12 year old boy. And then, um, 
He also talks about, yeah, so basically he's not a big fan of The Last Dance. Um, this is what he also said about, uh, um, he also jabbed Jordan for calling Scottie Pippen selfish for delaying his foot surgery until the season started as a part of a contract dispute with the team. And accusing, that's one thing we have to get to because of the whole, um, he talks about the Scotty part. So I'll, I'll just get his quote from the Scotty part because we got to talk about the whole, that one part that's in, in episode six. Then the Scotty Pippen part, Scotty was selfish. Come on, man. Come on. And, and, that's like, and then apparently he doesn't appear in the last dance. Apparently Chris Ayers fan for rushing to air the film. You know how I just won two championships as a member of the Bulls. Didn't even bother talking to You know he was on the, on the two teams. Oh, yeah. Came off the, that's messed up. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. But, you know, it's kind of hard. And they said, the disclaimer said, you know, this documentary, you know, it does, you know, push some kind of limits. And so they do give a disclaimer. But, yeah, I mean, not, I mean, I'm enjoying the documentary so far. And uh, there's going to be there are critics and, you know, people that, you know, at that time, playing that era, don't have their mis- misgivings about it. But, you know, and then plus, too, you, you Michael, like, reflecting on all those years, you know, it's kind of, you know, you know, things come out there, you know. We didn't have the internet back then. The internet wasn't in there yet. So a lot of things were like pretty much he says, she said type of thing, you know. And then you know, having, you know, try to pretty much, you know, respond to it. You know, give your detail why you think, why would this rumor start and stuff. Which we're going to talk about, um, which we're going to talk about episode six. Which pretty much, yeah, it'll, it'll, well, we'll talk about like how it leads to it because it covers, you know, joining the Bulls. Pretty much, you know, they're going through the month of April. It's before the playoffs. For the playoffs to even begin, so we're getting to that point with MJ and the Bulls, we'll and that's where they talk about more of the competitiveness of MJ when it comes to like we. I know we talked about earlier in part one of the episode, but of the episode of the podcast, but um, mm-hmm. it does mention you know MJ's um, competitiveness as well, and it just shows you know how big an was and it does t- touch on you know, what Biko was saying earlier about you know MJ in the hotel room, how he's getting tired of the spotlight. All that pressure on him, like the one time he'll be in the hotel room, it's just being him. It talks about that in the beginning of the, uh, episode six, and of course it's following the Bulls when they're, of course, you know, like I said, the whole documentary follows the Bulls throughout the ninety seven eighty season. Of course, doing callbacks, and then of course it goes back to the Bulls during the ninety three championship, how the media tried to poke at MJ, and of course the whole thing about Jordan and the media, basically Jordan's relationship with the media, basically. How the media was hounding him, trying to get inside dirt on the Bulls, you know. It was just like... No, and this tension like between on, the team, he's, all he's the tension. The, he's on the pedestal now. He's on a pedestal now. And all that tension building, yeah. and it talks about... And of course, it talks about that one book called The Jordan Rules. How it, it supposedly was an inside investigator detail, like some of the altercations MJ had with his teammates during practice. How he punched Will Purdue. He got into fights with his teammates during practice. By... by by a longtime Chicago Bulls writer, Sam Smith, mm-hmm. who was the first to break out, who was the first to kind of investigate and present a different side of Jordan that people, the pedestal, so the other side of the pedestal that you don't see. And this book was a massive bestseller because uh, everybody wanted to see the, what's the dirt on Michael Jordan. And I think like that really fucked with his head too. And, of especially with the media and he already had a bad like view of the media so getting a book out based on whatever sam based on like he should he said she said shit 
And um, it's funny big thing like, because a lot of people and a lot of people were saying that it was probably Horace Grant that the they said even though in even though the documentary says it wasn't him. It wasn't him, yeah. But of course, you know, it's like it's kind of debating and then and that's why I say Craig Hodges kinda of touched base on that as well. You know, he sent the article on Fox about the whole Horace Grant thing. But it's like I'm I it's not like I don't want to believe Horace Grant, but I mean come on. It's like I understand Jordan had that competitiveness even to his teammates. It shows. I mean, yeah, what we're doing, he said, oh, yeah, MJ, you know, punch me, but, you know, I bet you MJ, angry, no, I apologize for that, but, you know, it's like, it's just the competitive drive he has. Um, and then he said, this was all, he said, Craig uh, said about Horace Grant, and he said, in the last night with Horace that hurt me, I'm letting MJ know that ain't right, dude. Horace did not deserve to take the fall for Jordan Rules. If MJ knew, knows something else and knows Horace's motive and tell, tell us how Horace did for my sake because I'm your teammate, brother, just like they are. And I kind of saw how everybody got interviewed but me. That's so fucked. Yeah, but it's like... I don't know. Because I know Sam Smith is not going to say who his source was. No, he doesn't have to. And you saw how pressure he felt when he got at work how what he did because it's like... But same thing to me. I mean, and then of course, you know, they talk about you know MJ during the '93 playoffs. Um, of course, the Knicks were the big tough test. And then it gets to then. Then what I like about this episode it shows how a star impact Jordan has on like even on the entertainment world. How oh, yeah. these stars were starstruck at MJ. It showed that little thing with Jerry Seinfeld that was from '98. Yeah, that was funny. And Phil's trying to kick Jerry and Seinfeld out of the locker room. Um, because Madison Square Garden for Jordan was the mecca for him. Like, the oh yeah, he always so loved, he's always. Oh yeah, they did touch about when he wore the shoes. Yeah, so he always wanted to play in, in Madison Square Garden, and they show us a cutback to the last his last uh, regular season game and and Madison Square Garden. And he wore the shoes. And he wore the his the 1984th, uh his first uh Jordan colorway ones. Jordan once. So it was awesome to see and he did a, he how many points he he fucking scored like 40 something points that game. Too. Yeah, and his feet were bleeding. Like, yeah, and his feet were bleeding because of, he had, obviously if you guys worn shoes new shoes before and when you're running around the hardwood floor court and your new shoes you got to break them in and Jordan is essentially putting on new Air Jordan 1s, and he played 40-something minutes of basketball running up and down the court, and it's your Uranus doing that. He had two socks full of blood because blisters. Just I can't imagine the pain he had having to walk off that court after doing press after press or little interviews they do when, before they go to the locker room. His feet must have been barking. And then it shows how the breakdown when it comes to like Jordan and the press, how the player, how he was that during that time, and... Even in the early 90s, it's like he didn't have time between walking off the court. He saw the better press on the way to the court, on the way to the locker room. Even yeah. like in the locker room, getting ready and stuff. And, I, and it's kind of funny. The one thing I took away from episode 6 was it showed one part where they're like drinking beer, they're relaxing. Yeah, that it was, was before awesome. they had to go. It was before they had to do the press conference at the end of the game. Yeah, but that was because they won. Um, wasn't it a playoff game? It was a lot. No, no they, it wasn't they, a playoff they, game. It was a they got 60 wins in the regular season. And yeah. so he's like, finally, I have a beer. And then like. They're just chilling, and you see Michael with his face. He looks so angry, kind of just like, it's like, can you give me a minute? Like, like they have, so he's having a beer with you know the teammates, you know, having a good moment, just to, just just to chilling chill out. Even and Phil was drinking like, too. Like Phil was yeah, like, yeah, everyone was cracking one, and then he's like, all right, then he goes and he does this shit. And, and the, the first beer? question they ask him, what? Are you gonna come back? Are you gonna come back? Are you gonna come back? Like, oh my fuck! Because like back. I said, it's why after Jerry Cross was quoted yeah. saying that my, that Phil Jackson is not returned. Yeah, like, that's fucked up. Like, that's when you see, like, the... 
the line in the sand is getting drawn. Um, it's and that's where Michael's gonna be like, all right, then this is a, a, this. You don't want to fight a battle. You want a war. So it's that's where Michael starts playing the media games even more to slander Jerry. Car- Not slander. That's a hard word. You know, he throw his. You know, play the the war of the media on Jerry Krauss as well, and and his relationship with Phil Jackson and all that. Like you could see, everyone was essentially picking sides. Um, within that organization, and uh, God, it just, wow, it, it's crazy. Like, it was awesome. I actually really liked seeing this as an adult, seeing Michael Jordan crack a Miller Lite. Like, as a kid, I wouldn't understand. I'd be like, hey, look, he likes the same beer my dad likes to drink. <laughs> but, like, my dad doesn't drink Miller Lights. But nonetheless, it's like, it's awesome to see him being human <laughs> for just a second. Uh, and, uh, fuck it, I love it. Like, it was, it was very... I love very vulnerable moments like shit like that. Especially when it comes to the media and, and it's crazy bullshit. Uh, yeah, it was that's awesome. why it talks about the whole Jordan gambling thing. And of course the gambling story goes Yeah, they end up facing, you know, they end up facing the New York Knicks. This episode was definitely a focus. It was a good it was a good focus episode, which I like for the fact that Jordan was able to, to allow this to happen. Jordan's what, his vices we'll say? His vices, his vices. basically. But it was during the ninety three playoffs and they end up going to these kind of finals and end up taking on the New York Knicks. Of course, the New York Knicks at that time, man, they had a beast team. They're really Charles Oakley, team. Patrick Ewing, John Starks, Xavier McDaniel. Um, I'll name a few. Um, Anthony Mason? Anthony Mason, man. Fuck, man. They, they were, were like, honestly, too. they were like the bad boys so at the time. Stuff, yeah. And the Bulls, you know, being the incumbent, being the defending champions, being back-to-back, you know, the whole pressure of them as well of, you know, getting a 3 Because, like I said, no other team could have got a 3 and the Bulls were, like, being tested. Of course, you know, the first two games, they were out of it. And, of course, after game one, you know, MJ got so frustrated to the point, you know, then the story broke out. Oh, he went to Atlantic City and gambled. And that was one side of the story. But MJ, while well, like for MJ said, his dad urged him go to take a break. And, you know, the media tried to blow up saying, oh, Jordan didn't come back to, like, you know, he's tired. He was exhausted because he didn't get home and get back to his house until 2 o'clock in the morning. No, well, I like what MJ said. He called out saying, "No, my dad's like my dad decided like it was after the game. My dad said, you want to cool off? Let's go relax in Atlanta City. We'll go there for a couple for an hour.' Dude, he got back by midnight. He got back by midnight. That's not that's not bad. But his dad took him just to give him a time to escape from all the media pressure yeah. to relax. His parents, that's all they cared about. Like his folks that, was always by the side. They understood what he was going through, and like they all they were doing. And of course, was, game two, they end up being close, but they end up going down to nothing. And, of course, they were able to come back and bounce back. But it was a hard-fought series as well. Based on the game clips, man, they're, like, it was like them in the Pistons again. Yeah. Because they, like, they almost got, like, John Starks. <laughs> it's funny with John Starks trying to step up against, like, Pippen, dude. That was hilarious. Like, him trying to bump chest with Pippen, like, and, like arguing and trash-talking. And, oh, my God. That was, like, oh, man. That was intense. Like, the NBA, like, I cannot see that type of playing in today's NBA. The aggressiveness. Because, yeah, those guys went to war, and, of course, the Bulls end up coming out on top. And so it leads to them um, taking on Charles Barkley, who recently went with Phoenix after being, like, so many years with the 76ers. He got traded to uh, the Phoenix Suns. And pretty much um, he became MVP. He was MVP of the NBA at the time. And the whole thing was the Phoenix Suns and the Bulls. Of course, you know... It goes to, you know, the Bulls end up taking the first two games. And, of course, you know, game three, the Bulls end up, like, slowing down a little bit. 
this Charles did, you know, he had competitiveness as well to the point, you know, the bull, like they end up coming on top on game three. Good old Chuck. Bulls end up coming back on game four. They're leading three to one. They're feeling cocky and they thought game five they were going to, because of that time, they were still doing the whole, that time in the 90s, two games in one place, three games in another place, two games at the last place. It wasn't like the 2-2-1-1-1 two, two, one, one, one that the current format is now. So, you know, the Bulls, you know, they had the momentum. They were leading three, game, three games to one a series. And I like what Charles Buckley, but he said to his teammates, like, we're not going to let them win it tonight. And then all they were saying, all, all the all, like fans were saying, oh, Borrell will be winning this because it's going to be celebrating game five. The Bulls are going to take game five. And, of course, Charles Buckley is saying, you know, that um, pretty much, yeah, we're not going <laughs> to let them win it at home. And then it was um, a tough series. That was like the, it was a tough that series. Was a long, that was like honestly, Dan B. Finals. If, if Paxton didn't nail that, man, the Suns probably would have gave the Bulls the best run in the playoffs ever. Because since like the Pistons, I want to say. I mean, then again, the Pistons really just demolished them. But like, it's because Jordan Jordan was they had a good team. It's just the Pistons were too good. But this is the first time, like you know, the dynasty team got really pushed to the edge and. Or the soon-to-be dynasty team. Like we were so close to seeing Charles Barkley maybe almost winning the ring. Like it's what sucks about Chuck because they could have won a ring. But there's quotes I've read in other articles that where Jordan says Chuck could have Chuck could have won a ring. He just wasn't committed enough. <laughs> or he wasn't dedicated. And it's like oh shit. So it's like there's some they they take shots at each other. But you know Chuck is the best. Chuck has always been the keep it real man. That's why I, I respect him so much. He always keeps it real. He says what's on his mind. He's the only player that's ever threatened somebody to shoot him if he if uh, he if he threatened shot Scottie Pippen because he hates Scottie Pippen because of the Rockets trade uh, after the '98 season when he and he left the Rockets and because he went to join the Rockets with Akeem Olajuwon and Charles Barkley. And but he wanted to go to Lakers when Phil took over. But the he Lakers. really wanted to go to Lakers and he got a shit trade and Charles was mad at that because he basically didn't. He felt like Scottie really didn't. Uh, he he took that chance, but he in his heart he really wanted to be a Phil, and he was like didn't respect that. Charles was just like, "Come on, dude, you come to the team, you're gonna play and give it your L." He's like, he didn't like that, and so what happened? Scotty gets traded to Portland instead, so he didn't even get what he wanted. But he there's a like a quote that says like uh, if if uh, I can't remember something like that if if uh, he's like I only I will not I would not shoot Scotty Pippen if he apologized. Uh, or something like that. Or he's like, I always carry a gun. He's like, I always carry a gun or something. Like, let me find it. I don't want to fucking butcher it because it's actually a really funny quote. But um, yeah. So Bulls end up going to Phoenix, and then Jordan said that he told everybody, "Hey, I'm only packing one suit." Yeah. Oh yeah, that was the fucking awesome when he said that. He's like, hey, guys, I'm, I'm only packing one suit, so I'm planning to win here. That's like the best subliminal. Like, we better fucking win, or I'm never talking to you guys ever again. And he was already upset. So people always like Barkley or Jordan was always just like the fucking alpha in there. He was just always like the Q. He's the alpha dog in there. So he's like, I'm just wearing one suit, guys. I'm gonna take one suit. That was fucking awesome when he did that. And of course, Game Six back in Phoenix. So they went back to back, neck and neck in the last few minutes. You know, but Suns were up. And then, you know, Jordan was able to take one ball all the way to cross court, unguarded, lay it in, and they were close. And then Paxson ends up getting the shot, which no one expected. Even Paxson himself didn't expect that he was going to get the ball because they, everyone thought that Michael was going to shoot the last shot. But no, Paxson was wide open, shoots the three, 
And when it was all said and done, Bulls clinched their third. But if I noticed in that in that video, like NJ looked like he celebrated, but at the same time, he felt relieved. At the same time, like the weight got left off his shoulders, and you saw that. Yeah, he was happy the team won, but I think at that point, at that point, ninety three, that he was. You should look at his eyes. He was like, "Finally, we did something that wasn't done. The the weight of the shoulders has been lifted off of me." And you saw that. He's like, "Oh, give me a few minutes to be alone." Mm-hmm. Like he went by himself. Like let me call my wife and stuff. And that he, I, it was in his eyes that he was getting to the point that he, he was getting done. And of course, you know, um, it's like, yeah, I mean, going through a tough series with the Knicks, with Phoenix, you know, to the point that you almost had a one, you could have won in Chicago, but end up falling asleep and you know having to come back to Phoenix and finally win it there. And it's like. <laughs> You won it. three. You found the quote? Yeah, sorry. Could continue your idea. And, ahead. you know, having no way of okay, we won the three. We, they won three championships. Jordan felt that, you know, MJ, I could see you on his eyes like, yeah, I'm done. You know, he was getting that point that three championships. And you could tell, like, what other motivation that he's going to need to keep doing it. And I'm assuming what the next episodes are going to be, like, I'll probably focus on MJ when he left the first time. But going back, and I just found this article, it was on ESPN, it talks about Charles Barkley, and and apparently his relationship with MJ, that apparently, um, I guess this is from Nick Friedle, who's a staff writer for ESPN, for ESPN, he quotes, um, basketball Hall of Famer Charles Barkley admits that he's still really, really sad about the fact that his longtime friendship with Michael Jordan Deteriorated years ago because of a critical comments Barkley made about the way Jordan ran the then Bobcats franchise. But says, but Barkley doesn't sound optimistic about reconciliation. This is what um, Barkley said. That guy was like a brother to me for for shoot twenty something years ago, at least twenty something years ago. And I do I do feel sadness, but to me he's still the greatest basketball player. I wish him nothing but the best. But there's nothing I can do about it, brother. I guess he was being interviewed by a radio show on ESPN. Um, he says, oh, Barkley's like, oh, he's got my number. Um, he can call me. And he's like, it goes on where, says, is that, they ask him again, you know, the thing that don't bother me the most about the whole thing, and I don't think that when I said anything bad, that bad, Barkley said, I'm pretty sure I said, as much as I love Michael until he stops hiring them kiss-assers and his best friends, he's never going to be as successful as a general manager. Remember that time, Jordan was just a general manager for the Bobcats and not the owner yet. And I pretty, pretty much for being, I said then, the thing that really pissed me off about later is Phil Jackson said the exact same thing. And let's first say, Barkley said the fact that Jordan still has relationship with Phil Jackson but cut off communication with somebody who had been one of his closest friends in the league. Uh, Even Phil criticized MJ as a GM, and Jordan well, yeah, still and Jordan still and Jordan still held. He still kept the relationship with Jackson. Well, like and this is what else that um, this is what, what Charles also said as well. Listen, if you're famous and Michael at one point was the most famous person in the world, everybody runs either on the payroll, letting you buy drinks and dinner, or flying you around a private jet. Very few of your friends are going to be honest with you, and that's the very hard for any celebrity, but especially somebody of a stature. But I thought that was one of the reasons we were great friends. So, like, I can ask Charles anything. I know he's going to give me a straight answer, but as part of my job as an analyst is because I can't go on TV and say another general actor sucks. Then just because Michael's like a brother to me, he's doing a fast job, that would be disingenuous. 
Yeah. And it says, Barkley said part of his job is broadcast to sometimes be critical of people and teams he like personally. Former San Francisco Barkley compared his riff with Jordan to one he has with current Sixers star. Joel Embiid, Joel, Joel Embiid hates me because I call him lazy, which don't want. I'm like, dude, you got to get in shape to play basketball. They don't make him practice. It's like, well, he's got bad legs. That's not how you get your legs better. You work out, get your legs better, get him in the pool or something like that. But he's a great kid. But I'm like, yo, man, you got to get in shape to play basketball. So I'm going to do my job no matter what. But, like, Chuck's, you know, like you said, Chuck tells how that is. You know, it's like pretty much, you know, like you said, Jordan's got his number. Give him a call. Give me a call. But, I mean, I would like for the fact to reach out to Charles Barkley for the, for the Last Dance documentary. I'm, I'm glad my MJ let yeah, that happen. Yeah, oh, fuck yeah, he's the best. Um, what was that quote? Did you find that quote? Yes. A, so, this is actually regarding... Let's see. So, following the events of The Last Dance, Charles Barkley and Scottie Pippen played one lockout shortened season together on the Houston Rockets. With Michael Jordan walking away after he won his sixth title, the Bulls traded Pippen to Houston, where he finally got the contract he ever so wanted. The Rockets proceeded to lose to the Lakers in the first round of the playoffs, and Pippen was ready to move again. So during his breakup with the Rockets, he and he and Charles Barkley exchanged many words through the press. Through the press, oh, he was God. traded a short time after saying he would not apologize, even at gunpoint. So they obviously asked him, like, is he ever going to apologize for for whatever beef they had? And Pippen goes, "I wouldn't give Charles Barkley an apology at gunpoint." Pippen never said. Pippen said, raise, never raising his voice. You can never expect apology from me. If anything, he owes me an apology for for coming to play for his sorry fu- for his sorry fat butt. Asked about those comments, Barkley said, <laughs> "My favorite. I always carry a gun with me." He also said, "I'm going to go to my truck and get my gun and see. So if I get arrested for murder, y'all know he didn't apologize." <laughs> wow. He said this as a group of media members laughed with him about it. So it sucks that we can't say some shit like that anymore. But man, think of it. This was not even... This is back in 99, 98. So like, different times, folks. So this just cemented more of why I appreciate Charles Barkley not only as a a player, um, but as an analyst of the game, as a personality, as himself, as as a human on this earth. And he just keeps it real, even and in, in, even on the platform that he's in. I mean, he's an amazing commentator now. Like inside the NBA, has been going for years, and it's it's honestly one of the best NBA shows there is. And Chuck, Chuck and Shaq were just like Chuck's been there for years now. But when they introduced Shaq into it, it's got even better. And like he's gonna he, if he it sucks he's gonna he's in the Hall of Fame, but he's gonna be in the Hall of Fame for uh, commentary and NBA stuff too. He definitely should. Uh, him and and because like him and Cha- him and Shaq argue all day. It's so fucking funny, and uh, it, to to see something like that is funny because you can't get away with saying stuff like that, especially with a bunch of mic- microphones on you. And this is on ESPN two where you said this. <laughs> uh, and this and the quote was taken two years after the Washington Bullets changed their name to the Wizards. Ten years later, Gilbert Arenas brought three guns into the Washington <laughs> Wizards locker room. As with most things in his life, Barkley has never hit the fact that he owns guns. He was even arrested on a weapons possession back in 1998. Barkley discussed, discussed buying guns in Arizona in an interview with Sports on Earth in 2016. Barkley remains a gun owner today who believes in gun control. Yeah, simple as that. Uh, but that was something I really want to bring up as far as the quote goes. Because uh, they've been sprinkling in some segments in Chuck a uh, little bit 
uh, during these documentary series, and especially with the Dream Team. So it was nice. <clears throat> it was nice to see this um, for what's what. So overall, what do you think of these two episodes? <coughs> um, I liked it. I think it was really good. Uh, I think it just keeps getting better and better. I like that they took the time to really portray Kukoc's um, involvement and in just getting thrusted into the NBA, even through tension in his own home country. And I like I I admire him so much. Uh, he I loved him as a player too. Uh, he was one of my favorites coming. Like he was always a six man off the bench, but like in those last two seasons or so, but he was excellent. I mean, he I, <clears throat> it just. The documentary did a great job of showing the tension between uh, Jer- Jordan and Pippen with Kraus even carrying into the stage of the Olympics and how they made their crap personal even when they're trying to win a gold medal for the country. Like, and they thrust it upon Kukoc, but later on we got to see that they all played well together and Kukoc got, you know, he, they he impressed him. He did the, Kukoc did the best thing you impress you impress Michael Jordan, that's play a hell of a game of basketball. And he got to do it the second time he faced the Dream Team. And they, they misjudged him right away. They're just like, oh, wow, no, this kid can play. It's like, he ain't scared of shit. We just thought he was scoffed. and Because they're really punishing him that first game. But, oh, yeah. So it was a, I was really impressed with that. And I'm glad that uh, the, the documentary is turning the, the... I guess you can see the dynamic of uh, Jordan's... I want to say his popularity. And we're showing... How the media, be, you know, they say if the, one minute they like you and the one minute they don't. So it's media always does that, and that's when the media completely switched their their fucking agenda. And the whole be like, like Mike, yeah. And the whole like after the be like Mike thing, they're like, oh, I mean, not everybody wants to be like Mike, and then that's when they turn the oh, let's get the secret. So like, I think the Sam Smith book really projected that into like into the fire that, that just burned everything up. And like, Jordan had the whole silence and stuff. Like he didn't want to talk to yeah, me after that. So it's, it's, it's good to see that like, it, it need this side of Jordan needs to be shown because it's I'm important. glad he allowed it. That's what I'm saying. It's important. It's very important to show that like, he's man, fame is a hell of a bitch, dude. And I love how they asked him. He's just, and they asked him, he's like, I'm not going to miss this when he's in the hotel room by himself, that private moment he had. He's like, I'm never going to miss this. I'm like, I can't like, He's like, I know I'm not going to miss this in, in like 20, 30 years. And like, look at him. Now we see him kicked back in his nice home with his handy, his glass of handy and his cigar. So I was like, damn, that's, that's Jordan, man. That's, I, I, I love him too. I can't, it's, 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 it's just fucking insane how amazing he is for that. Like he is so relaxed. Like now if that's a man who looks like he's at peace again, mm-hmm. even with all the shit with this documentary, like he looks like. Even if he has to reflect on it again, yeah. he, he he could do it with a better better uh, I want to say a better spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, both episodes were great. I liked I liked that they showed the the Dream Team shit. I liked that they did good. I I, I can't wait for Sunday. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah it's only ten episodes. That's it. I'm just really yeah, that's that the one thing. But I kind of like for the fact that they they go back and forth. They, but it's cool because it's two timelines. Like I said, it's a Jordan documentary. But I like for the fact that it shows like everybody else. But I like for a fact to show a lot of the inside stuff. So my, my big takeaway from 5-6 is like, 5, you know, show more depth of the 92 championship. And then, of course, you know, the dream team with the whole inside. And, of course, seeing the practice footage, how, you know, they self-titled it. But to hear, like, trash talk and shit. And how brutal those practices were. And the, game, and the whole, how they're playing cards and stuff. And, like, the practices, you know, MJ trying to find escape playing golf. 
and showing how he didn't realize how big of an icon. And of course, the whole Jordan shoe selection was kind of cool too. Um, and like showing that, like, you know, he had up, like, he saw Converse and Adidas. He wanted to be Adidas. It was kind of interesting to see that he wanted to be Adidas guy. Um, the political thing, eh, it was all right, but I just felt, okay, I understand they want to get Jordan's politics pushing the question because of some quote he did years back like come on Republicans buy shoes too but, but I like the fact they had Barack Obama give his his reflection on it as well and of course you know the one thing I do like like a lot 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 of uh, the, I had a goddamn MJ documentary so they only mentioned a little bit about the Jordan rules but not much in the detail so having Sam Smith who wrote it discuss about it and of course Horace Grant tried to say oh I'm not the one who leaked the information but come on dude but it's showing, you know, Jordan's thing with the gambling and stuff. It's about, you know, he's human, the competitiveness. I'm glad AMJ said that, you know, I don't have a gambling addiction. I don't. I have a competitive addiction. He always been competitive. And lucky he was able to, he allowed the document, to document that and show how competitive he is when it comes to playing cards or, you know, playing a game, tossing coins with the security guards at the United States Security and... Playing against other players, like playing cards against the Dream Team, same thing. He they talk about like the card games they had with each other with Larry and Mike and um, Charles and all that stuff. And it's like, and because of course I like the Tony Kukoc stuff because it showed you know how I would say how Michael and Sky became Kukoc's motivation. The show to prove to them, hey, you beat me on the first game, but you caught me off guard. But now come again, if we face each other again, now you're going to see how. Why Jerry wanted me, and they, I guess Michael and Sky were like you said they were blown away at how the performance he put in that gold medal game. Even though Croatia fell short, but I think Michael and Sky took they say, hey, this guy could play, this guy could compete in the NBA. Then that's why I enjoyed about that. Then we shout to Tony Kukoc about that, yeah. um, and talking about that, and of course with Charles and the Phoenix Suns and stuff. And it's kind of sad, you know. I like Charles Barkley as well as a player and stuff, and his all. Uh, when he's doing the, I like him as an analyst as well because he, he tells how it is. He's not going to hold any punches. But it kind of sucks with the article that I was talking about how him and Jordan's relationship is, are, are kind of sour. But I'm like for the fact that he, maybe they are slowly mending the fences. Because I know the Dream Team were inducted to the Hall of Fame, so Chuck does have that. But maybe during that time, maybe they start talking again. But I think with this article talking about Chuck was talking about like years later, you know, how they got into a rift. When, you know, Charles was criticizing, you know, Jordan's management of the, of the Popcats at the time. Um, but, um, I mean, I like the fact that this documentary, you know, and I like the fact how it shows MJ, like, he is human, guys. It's like, you know, all this pressure of being, you know, on all the time, it's hard. I mean, I don't know how celebrities do it. Like, I can see why most of them just stay to themselves or, you know, stay indoors or have to go shopping at certain hours of the day just to get Sense groceries. Yeah. It. Fuck it. It's hard. Because you always got to be on. I mean, same thing with like professional wrestling. It's like, thank God, you know, we got internet now. We don't have to worry about KPM anymore. They, they could be themselves. Yeah. It's not like back in the day where, you know, they had to stay in character all the time, even outside the ring, because there was no, there was KPM. But like for fact now, it's like the, like the superstars, like, you know, any athletes get to be themselves. But yeah, like Jordan was at that point, you know, he was getting tired of being asked the same question. Like, are you coming back? I'm coming back and then all the spotlight, you know, leaving the hotel room, being hounded by, you know, fans and the media, same thing. Every time we go, he couldn't, like, take a time for himself. That's why he tries to look for it. And I saw one, that one practice, they were trying to leave early to go get it because they had a tea time. And MJ was, like, pushing Sky, like, hey, let's go, let's go. Because they can't leave until everybody else leaves. 
So yeah. I think it was pushing until everybody at this point got to the bus and started like honking the horn, like, ur, ur, come on, we gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta go. And then, you know, because he wanted to escape, and he had golf was one of his escapes. Going to green. And of course, he liked to play for money, so it's like, you know, it's like I said, it's like competitiveness. But at the time, it's like, I mean, come on. And, you know, and of course, the whole intense thing about the practices and stuff. It's like, yeah, I mean, he could be competitive in practice as well. But I understand, maybe, yeah, he actually, he punched World Rude, but maybe it was probably the tension, the frustration. Probably. It was probably that, the frustration for me, and it got to him, to the point he ended up taking it out of a teammate, which I'm assuming he apologized afterwards. And probably saying, oh, I'm sorry, my competitors got to the best of me. So it's like, it happens, because he's like, he's in a, it's like a fish in a, in a small pod being surrounded by bigger fish. It's, that's probably what he felt like. But overall, I enjoyed these two episodes. I'm looking forward to episodes 7 and 8. And hopefully it does go over, you know, why he retired the first time. Mm. But I know there's some, the documentaries I had, you know, talking about the Deathless file was one of his motivations. But, I mean, it's probably one of them. But he'll probably talk about more why besides that. Because there was rumors about his gambling and stuff. But I like the fact they addressed some of it in the documentary. That it wasn't as bad... Then maybe he's not going to take any action because it wasn't as bad. But he was just... It wasn't like... If he was betting against his team in games, okay, that would have been bad. But he was playing golf. Yeah. He was in a casino. Come on. It's like they can't have fun too. Like you said, they can't have fun too. It's like they're fucking... They're cute. But remember, at sports, at the end of the day, they all... You're, you're a slave. You're a slave. You're a slave. Until then. So it's it's and then you get you become a slave to the public because you be, you become this polarizing enamored figure for how good you are and unfortunately, people forget to realize that you you are another person who wakes up and has their own things they have to deal with every day just like everyone else and I think when you become the escape, it the delusion gets so it's it becomes a major issue to where. The escape is in you create that within your own reality, and sometimes you throw that onto these people, these famous actors or celebrities, we'll say, or, or athletes. And sometimes, you know, we put these people on our pedestal, and that delusion just drives everyone wild, and that goes onto the celebrity. And it's like, it, that, that's a, it sucks. Like, they can't even go out, they can't move around like they can't, they want to. They're not truly free, they're really not. So, that's. And I hate the thing where it's like, oh, what do you expect? That's what they get themselves into. It's like, no, it's not. Mm. You just create something. You hope a few people like it. And now with the internet age, it's fucking crazy how you can be in sensation overnight. And that's overwhelming. for That has to be overwhelming for anybody. You know? And and Jordan was no exception to that. Like, And so I, I've always been somebody who's grad, has... Um, has always been gravitating towards vulnerable content and really showing the person's uh, true side to them and and the struggles they have with everyday life because uh, it relates to things that I go through and things that you go through and and what the listeners go through or may be going through and uh, and this is what it's all about, guys. It's just communicating and sharing relatable experiences and this is why we talk about Michael because this is a special moment in me and my brother's life. Uh, and, and, and it's such a great time in Chicago 
uh, in the nineties and such a God, it, it feels like just a, a, a blissful memory. Like I don't, I, it, it seems like it was a far away dream. The nineties was, and like, it, it's wild that, um, some people still don't want to see Jordan as a human. Like they still want to put him in this weird negative or this weird pedestal of, of, yeah, he he's not supposed to have any flaws, like you mentioned earlier. Like perfectionist doesn't exist. No, it and I and I don't understand why people don't get that. Still, that's just ego. They talk a lot of shit about his competitive ego, but I think people need to uncheck their own ego at the end of the day. Okay, good. Okay, guys. Um, that's pretty much gonna wrap it up. Um, I mean, like I said, can we? The seven and eight will be on on Sunday night on ESPN. Uh, I believe you can watch the uncensored version on ESPN one. I think you, ESPN two are showing the the, the censored version. Uh, they are going to repeat episodes uh, five and six earlier, but I believe um, seven eight will be on at eight and nine o'clock Central Time. Central Time, guys, because we live in Chicago. Um, like I said, um, pretty much check it out um, if you haven't seen the rest of the episodes. I'll definitely go to if you have the ESPN Plus app. You can actually check out the episodes on there. Um, I know they got this one show called Detail, and right now they're asked, having a lot of the Man. former Bulls players take a look in each episode, which I like. I need to, we need to see that. Um, other than that, um, right now with this COVID nineteen, it's kind of like you know, make sure you take care, you guys. Take care of yourselves. Wash your hands. You know, practice social distancing. Please be um, considerate out there, guys. Be considerate of others. You know, if you're gonna go to the store, make sure you wear your mask. It's safety for the people at work. You know, I understand it can be annoying sometimes, but they're, you're doing it for the for the workers' protection. Helping them out, they're you know they're on the front lines. They're working hard out there, man. It's it's tough out there, guys. They're working very hard and really helping. And please contribute to your community in any way you can, even if it's supporting local businesses. Uh, please do your best if you're um do ordering takeout right now to support these local businesses. Order directly from them. Do not try to limit your use on third party apps such as Grubhub and uh, DoorDash and things like that. I know there's other people, gig workers, who do need help too with that, and I understand. Um, I just ask that you please help your local business companies for, uh, or your local businesses, uh, you know, a little more than what you would expect to order with Grubhub or not. Cause they're really, they're going under fire. If you haven't noticed somebody, a lot of, uh, business owners, restaurant owners have leaked what the, what the fees they pay. And it's outrageous. It's outrageous how much of a cut that Grubhub or DoorDash are, are taking or Postmates are taking. Uh, Postmates is a little different. I don't know what that because, but Grubhub. Well, I like that Uber Eats has been like uh, encouraging people to donate. Yeah, so it's it's. Uber Eats is not bad because I know they've been encouraging. Donations. Yes, but that's just that's a lot of just talk. Yeah. I don't like that. I got to see numbers. Sorry, talk. You can just say that you're donating. Yeah. A lot of these companies say they donate, but they write it off on their taxes. It's bullshit. So at the end of the day, please stay safe out there. Help people out as much as you can and. Help yourself if any can. You know, develop your own skills. Get lost in some content. Watch some anime or watch some wrestling. I don't know. Music. There's some new music, music. going on and stuff. Yeah, and there's and a lot guys, of music coming out. I do want to say that we got some stuff planned later on. Um, we're not going to get into details yet, but we will soon. Um, you'll be surprised what we're going to branch out to with the podcast. But right now, I mentioned earlier, we are playing something. But we'll let you guys know soon but right now like i said thank you for sticking with us as we were going through this whole retrospective on the last dance you know it's something you know like i said it means to us you know growing up with the bulls in the 90s and it's kind of cool we decided to take time away and discuss our reactions to the last dance documentary so 
hopefully we'll see how 7 and 8 turn out. We'll give you guys our reactions to that. Plus, episodes eight, episodes 9 and 10. And then I just found out WWE Network is doing their own documentary series called Undertaker The Last Ride. Which is supposed to premiere this coming Sunday. Episode 1 will be available this coming Sunday on demand. After the Money in the Bank pay-per-view on the WWE Network. Um, also that too. You know, like I said, um, there's a lot of content out there, guys. You know, take advantage, you know. And like I said, um, if, before, before we wrap up, I do want to mention Humble Bundle. We're not being endorsed by those guys, but I, we came across Humble Bundle, and right now uh, Robert Kirkman and Image Comics are pretty much offering you guys with a donation of $25, you get the entire digital Walking Dead collected series. That means you get everything, the free comic book day, the, the spinoff on Negan, the whole graphic novel collection of Walking Dead. With a $25 donation that goes to this charity that supports the book industry. And I believe there's like 10 or 12 days left to take advantage of the deal right now. I did it and Biko did it and Biko did it as well. And it's like, it's cool because with just that, and you know, it's going to a good charity. Robert Kerman, you know, taking the game on the side, you know what? I'm going to share with everybody. Like a value that could cost you like $400 to get it for just $25 digital donation. Wonderful. And you get to download and use a reading app and actually look through it and everything. And it's like, even though I'm more like a paper person yeah. but it's cool to have it it's cool to have it digital as a, as a means of like convenience it's always nice to have an option to go to if you're on the road or commuting somewhere or you know taking oh can't take a trip now but you know hypothetically speaking if we can ever do that ever again but like i said it's a really good deal definitely guys the money goes to the right um charitable organization so definitely check it out it's on humblebundle.com go on there like i said we're not endorsed but we encourage you guys to check it out but like i said um like i said help your communities Order local. Like I said, stay safe. Wash your hand. Don't forget to check out our store at teespring.com slash Talking Pop. Make sure to check out our Facebook page. Go to Facebook.com. Look for Talking Pop with the franchise and Miko. We post links to the episodes. Our podcast is available on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Also, our parent podcast provider, Anchor, who sponsors our podcast. Thank you so much. Helping us out in that way. And like I said, a lot of big things coming your way. As always, I am the franchise. I'm Biko. Geek on. Take care. And wash your hands.